You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, trashotroncom agony. Barney Frank represented the 4th Congressional District of Massachusetts for more than three decades. His new book is Frank. Barney, why don't you read to me from the beginning of the book, which takes us back to your childhood and an important decision you faced. In 1954, I was a fairly normal 14-year-old, enjoying sports, unhealthy food, and loud music. But even then, I realized that there were two ways in which I was different from the other guys. I was attracted to the idea of serving in government and I was attracted to the other guys. Barney, one of the things that we find in this book is your ability to use humor. I'd like you to talk about that as a way of creating the kind of personal connections and the personal power relationships that allow you to uh, govern effectively. Well, first, when you are trying to get a point across, you realize that you're competing with a lot of other information that is going out to people. Uh, How do you get your points to be remembered? If you can make it funny, you, you, you probably have a better chance of people remembering it. Secondly, uh, ridiculing people is an effective weapon. I always try to not ridicule them personally. A few that I felt should be. But generally, I would try to ridicule their ideas. And if people are laughed at, uh, they don't like that. And they may make them uh, be reluctant to get into that fight again. We look at change in a couple of different ways here in America. There's revolution that created America. There's evolution, which is working within the system. I'd like you to talk about the difference uh, between the two, uh, uh, specifically with regards to the various movements and things you've championed, uh, gay rights, uh, racial equality, income equality. Well, on the, on the one level, this country has been getting better. That is discrimination. Uh, I think it really goes back to World War II. The revulsion that people felt about Hitler, bigotry taken to its extreme, to, to mass murder, to genocide. Um, you know, before that, people accepted racial inequality, gender inequality. Nobody even thought about protecting gays and lesbians. Uh, people with some kind of physical ailment were cripples, and nobody worried about them. And, and uh, since 1945, we've had a series of successful movements to, to stop mistreating people because of these basic... Uh, uh, characteristics, and that's been very helpful. On the other hand, immediately after the war, we were in great shape economically because we had we had built up during World War II when every other economy was devastated. So from the end of the war until in the early 80s, if you were a white working-class guy, not subject to racism or gender prejudice, you did pretty well just by wanting to go out there and work. The economy in the world has changed. America now does well in some areas, not in others. And so we have increased income inequality because simply being willing to work without a lot of specialized skills or high-end technical ability doesn't buy you as much anymore. And so the current problem now is to say, yes, it's good that we are making increased wealth in this new world, but we have to see that it is is, uh, shared more equally or more fairly. Not equally, because you don't want equal in a capitalist society, but less unfairly. I'd like you to talk about the power of political hindsight. You can look back on your career and see things, I think, in a much better sense and teach yourself lessons going forward in the future. That's the important part. Obviously, uh, you don't go back to be critical uh, when people couldn't have known things. But um, I've learned some things. I I realized I was too slow to see that uh, government was becoming unpopular and and unrealistic in being critical of some of my colleagues who were were sort of accommodating that. And uh, uh, one of the things I learned from that is One of the worst dangers is wishful thinking. Uh, Double check 
uh, your thinking if, if you decided that everything is the way you want it to be. And, and an unwillingness to recognize that things may not be going the way you want, uh, that's, that's a very important characteristic. I'd like you to talk about the concept of starving the beast and the way that it reinforces its own goal. Yeah, that's a very clever uh, move that was really talked about by David Stockman, who was Reagan's budget director. Reagan comes into power and starts cutting taxes. Now, the official explanation was that by cutting taxes, they would produce more revenue for the government, which was nonsense, and it's never worked. Um, but what David Stockman admitted was this. He wanted there to be less revenue for this reason. He and many other Republicans were philosophically opposed to housing for the elderly, to the Social Security system, to Medicare, to other things that we provide to enhance the quality of life. But he also admits in the book he wrote that these things are popular. They weren't put in there by a bunch of conspiratorial liberals. They all responded to public demand. So the question, if you're a conservative, is how do you cut off these programs when they're popular? The answer is you cut off the money from them. You starve the beast, the beast being government. So if you first do something popular like cutting taxes and lie to people and say, you know what, we can have these tax cuts and you won't have to give up any programs, and then you say to them, oh, by the way, because we cut taxes, we don't have the money for the programs, that's, that's how they starve the beast. I'd like you to talk about your part in financial reform, uh, why you found that so interesting. Well, actually, I had no choice. I uh, got onto the committee that was then called the Bank Committee because I care a lot about housing. My main goal was to build affordable rental housing. I've always been skeptical of putting poor people in home ownership uh, at the margins. And uh, I also wanted to make the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund less rigidly capitalist and more more uh, willing to, to uh, play a kind of a useful social role. And then I just happened to be the senior Democrat on the committee when things fell apart in 2003. So you don't have any choice. Uh, you know, I didn't go to Congress thinking, boy, I'd really love to get to know more about collateralized loan objective uh, uh, offerings. And um, I just found that I had no choice. I had to do it. Once I get into it, it became interesting intellectually, and it also uh, was important. I mean, the country, our, our ability to continue to function as a, as a free society was somewhat at, at risk. You're, you've come full circle at this point in your life. You're a happily married man, and, we're, and uh, the government is held in its lowest regard ever. I'd like you to talk about where you see yourself going forward. I want to uh, restore support for government, not as an end in itself, but because government is the instrument by which very important things that enhance the quality of our life can be achieved. And I think there, paradoxically, I think there are things that some of the people who now vote anti-government would support that are an expansion of government, and they're angry at the government, not because they're philosophically opposed to it, but because it hasn't delivered for them, particularly white working class men. So I would like to do two things. I would like substantially to reduce America's military spending by over $100 billion a year. We are greatly overextended because we have taken it on ourselves to get involved everywhere, every time, every place, even when we not only have no real interest, but we can't accomplish anything. Uh, you know, there are cases where I, if I thought we could make things better, I'd be willing to bear the sacrifice. But, but, but we can't make Iraq a nice country with military force. That's not the problem. Uh, similarly, uh, it's time for Western Europe to take care of themselves. If we were to reduce the military, and if we were to stop throwing people in prison because we think they've put the wrong drugs in their mouth, like marijuana or heroin or in their arm or whatever, um, 
then we would free up money so we could fix up our roads and bridges and put construction workers to work. We could make it possible for intelligent kids from lower-income families to get a very good education for, for very little money. We could expand Medicare and take that pressure off people down to 55 instead of 65. Uh, we could improve the parks. We could do more in the area of environmental cleanup. We could improve public transportation. We could do a lot to make the quality of our life better. We could build more housing, for example, rental housing for older people, which would add to the total housing stock and reduce the cost of housing when they move out. Um, that's So my first two goals are cut military spending, stop throwing people in jail for smoking marijuana, and then use the money that that will free up to uh, make this a better place. I've been speaking with Barney Frank. His new book is Frank. Thank you for joining me, Barney. Thank you. This has been fun. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, trashotron.com slash agony.